You're listening to episode number 83 of The Green Elephant in the Room. The country and the world woke up on the morning of Wednesday, November 6th, 2024, and was stunned. It was one day after what many considered the most significant election day in modern U.S. history. After years of campaigning crammed with heated rhetoric, incalculable accusations, deceits, slurs, and slanders, the U.S. presidential election was finally over. Astonishingly, former President Donald Trump had legitimately won the electoral and popular vote and was elected the 47th President of the United States. Considering he had been found guilty in two of his four criminal indictments, the classified documents case in Florida and the political interference case in Georgia, and having his multi-billion dollar civil fraud trial ending with a five-year commercial real estate ban against Trump and the Trump Organization, which included a substantial financial penalty of $250 million, he still managed to garner coalitions of diverse voting blocks. However, what was even more shocking After retiring to his home in Florida, he virtually disappeared from public view. He was uncharacteristically quiet and out of sight. The social media rumor mill exploded into a constellation of gossip, hearsay, innuendo, and hoaxes peddled on both sides of the divide. Rumors were rampant and conspiracy theories rocketed across the global media universe. His absence was electrifying. The eyes of the world were focused on Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago compound. Later in the morning, a rush news conference was called. When the world tuned in, the entire Trump clan was present. All his children, including Tiffany, the youngest Baron, as well as his former First Lady, Melania. The small crowd gathered, and the massive television audience tried to determine emotions on the faces of the family to discover any sign of apprehension. But they were all reserved and stoic in their manner. A campaign spokesperson was standing behind a bank of microphones and beginning to read from a written statement. She said, The president-elect is fine. He is suffering from emotional exhaustion and is being attended to by a staff of physicians. She went on, We understand the concern for Mr. Trump. However, we request that all of you appreciate that this has been a demanding and rigorous campaign. Following a request from the doctors, the family, and Mrs. Trump, they asked me to convey to the American public and the world that he is in no danger. He just needs to rest up and he will make a public appearance soon. Thank you all for your consideration. A roar from the assembled press exploded, 
Can we visit him? Is it more than exhaustion? Can we visit him? Can he make a video statement? Is he in a coma? Is he dead? With that, the family departed the impromptu stage. There was a frenzy of speculation. Did he have a stroke? Videos of his public appearances were scrutinized for any sign of affliction or infirmity. Was it a Russian nerve agent? When he comes out, will it be a body double or an AI hologram projection? Was it alopecia areata, the disease where the immune system mistakenly attacks hair follicles, causing the person to lose all their body hair? All their body hair. His supporters were apoplectic, paralyzed with fear that they had come so far with this man that to have the rug pulled out at this extraordinary moment was beyond devastating. It was annihilating to their sense of identity. The liberal elites had something to do with this. What was the Joe Biden crime family role in this? Social media blows up with rumor, gossip, theories, and suppositions. It is crammed with an exotic mix of anger, confusion, threats, extreme joy, and blind rage. The following day, he was a no-show. There was a fury like none ever witnessed. A massive crowd gathered surrounding Mar-a-Lago chanting Trump's name. People with tears streaming down their faces hugged each other and gave despondent interviews to the press. The family spokesperson reassured the crowds that the president-elect was simply getting some much-needed rest and would rally in a day or two. This scenario repeated itself for several days until finally it had been a week since the election. Talk and thoughts began to turn to wonder if his condition was much more serious than officials were letting on. Even though there were over two months for the official inauguration on January 20th, this short period was usually bursting with important pre-administration activities. Naturally, speculation centered on what if he is incapable of performing his duties on the appointed day? The 20th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution is clear about what happens if the president-elect dies before taking office. In that case, the vice president-elect becomes the new president. If the president-elect does not die, but becomes incapacitated, he could voluntarily transfer authority to the vice president after Inauguration Day. The 25th Amendment lays out this process. If a president submits a written statement that he is unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office, then the vice president becomes the acting president. The president can regain the powers and duties of the presidency by submitting a written statement that he is capable of serving again. Attention now was directed at Trump's controversial choice for vice president. Only the second woman ever elected to be a heartbeat from the president, Marjorie Taylor Greene. It is rare for a member of the House of Representatives to become well-known nationally, especially someone in only their second term. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, or MTG, 
is as famous as they get. She arrived in Congress in January 2021, blonde and crass and indelibly identified with conspiracy theories involving Jewish space lasers and Democratic pedophiles. She had barely settled into office before being stripped of her committee assignments. She had been called a cancer on the Republican Party by Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Her victory to a congressional seat in the mostly white and rural 14th Congressional District of Georgia was cast as a momentous fluke, a wrong turn that would surely be corrected with the next election. Not a foretelling of where the Republican Party was headed in the wake of Trump's presidency. However, it was her abiding loyalty to a disgraced former president that drove her like a meteor into the heights of political prominence. Green's messaging machine achieved a kind of wall of sound inescapability. Her daily litany of often vicious taunts, factual contortions, and outright falsehoods on social media and behind any available lectern depicted a great nation undone by Biden's Democrats. She willingly shared allusions to undocumented immigrants as rapists, transgender individuals as predators, Black Lives Matter protesters as terrorists, abortion providers as murderers, and her political opponents as godless, pedophilia-coddling communists. There were famous scraps with Democratic congressional colleagues, particularly Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez. A few in the press noted that it had been years since politicians were referred to by just their initials, JFK, RFK, LBJ, MLK. Both of these women had that lyrical quality in their names, MTG versus AOC. After her initial brazen and impetuous style marked her indelibly in the American voters' awareness, in a couple of years, keeping her eye on the prize, she managed in Congress to accumulate real power, landing on important committees and influencing the direction of Republican politics. Trump himself, in a news release, considered her take-no-prisoners rise to power and proclaimed her a warrior in Congress, adding, she doesn't back down, she doesn't give up, and she has always been with Trump. The latter distinction mattered. Barely over a year into her career as an elected official, Green informed the media that she and the former president had already discussed the possibility of her being his running mate in 2024. Meanwhile, in blue America, anti-Trump protesters flooded city streets by the hundreds of thousands. They were rightfully afraid that this might be their last election they would ever vote in. The only problem? There was no embodiment of their rage. No one had seen Trump for weeks. As Inauguration Day grew closer, historians reflected on comparable circumstances in American political history. President Ronald Reagan was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 1994, six years after he left office. After the announcement was made, he was cared for by his wife Nancy at their home and he never made a public appearance again. Maybe a closer parallel would have been the 28th president, Woodrow Wilson. 
After the president suffered a severe stroke, his wife, Edith Bowling Wilson, pre-screened all matters of state, functionally running the executive branch of the government for the remainder of Wilson's second term. What would surprise most Americans today is how the entire affair, including Wilson's extended illness and long-term disability, was shrouded in secrecy while he was incapacitated for the remainder of his second administrative term. That could never happen today. Or could it? On the appointed day, at noon, January 20th, 2025, the Vice President of the United States was sworn in as acting president. The country was still in a quandary concerning the president-elect. There had been some still photos released showing Trump sitting up in bed, surrounded by his family, appearing fine. But there were no videos or recordings making it harder to interpret his medical condition. Outside experts consulted almost unanimously speculated that Mr. Trump had suffered a massive stroke and it might take many more months for him to recover, if ever. It was difficult for the president-elect supporters to accept the situation. However, after being out of the public eye for multiple weeks and the constitutional process functioning that allowed his hand-picked successor Vice President Marjorie Taylor Greene assumed the powerful position. It was the best they could hope for, considering the circumstances. Realizing the potency of the phenomenal power granted to her in this extremely unusual situation, MTG hit the ground running. Addressing the nation and the world in a televised address to both houses of Congress, she said, quote, I have been blessed by the Almighty Creator and have been given a mandate to carry out our great leader's visionary agenda. And she got with the program from day one. Many in Trump's most dedicated and staunchly devoted MAGA crowd loyalists had time since the election victory to ponder the implications of the situation. As much as they invested their heart, soul, purse, and loyalty to the now stricken president, they were quite aware that, well, he did come with a lot of baggage. Even though he beat some of the charges leveled against him during the campaign, he was found guilty in two trials and was now a convicted felon. Even worse, he had lost the original source of his power and influence when he was forced to relinquish his business empire. And even as the re-elected president, he was facing a variety of criminal and civil cases that would at best distract from his administration and the governing of the country. Then there was an ugly incident during the campaign. Ever since his first indictment, Trump had attacked with increasing ferocity the judges and prosecutors who had tried to hold him accountable, calling them deranged, thugs, hacks, corrupt, disgraceful, radical, un-American, and worse. Then, one of his supporters, wearing a crimson MAGA hat, assassinated one of the judges that had convicted Trump. He was captured, but Trump himself could not be charged in the case. He was always careful with his death threats, saying things like, somebody should take that guy out, 
or in the past, that person would have been executed for treason. Still, it was clear that the targets of his violent threats against prosecutors, judges, and potential witnesses, and many others were justifiably terrifying for their own lives and their families. And now it seemed to them that the fever of Trumpism was starting to break and his hand-picked successor was an acceptable substitute. People began calling her Trump in a skirt. From the speaker's podium, the acting president, MTG, looked confidently at the TV camera and lifted a document, held it aloft, and proclaimed that the book-sized manuscript entitled Project 2025 was second only to the Bible in guiding her to make America great again. The book, Project 2025, had a subtitle, Mandate for Leadership, The Conservative Promise. That conservative promise is a radical, far-right plan to purge and restructure the U.S. government if the Republican presidential candidate won the 2024 election. The plan includes putting federal agencies under the direct control of the president, who was newly enhanced authority and powers. The nearly 1,000-page guide was written by more than 350 right-wingers and is full of sweeping recommendations to deconstruct all sectors of the federal government, including drastic changes in environmental policy. It is meant to guide the first 180 days of the presidency. The proposal calls for a top-to-bottom overhaul of all branches and departments of the federal government. This would allow a Republican president to single-handedly dismantle the FBI, Department of Justice, Department of Education, the IRS, the Department of Defense, and many other government agencies. Project 2025 implores the president on day one to be a wrecking ball to root out the alleged liberal deep state bureaucracy that has become a boogeyman for the party since Trump. Led by the long-established Heritage Foundation think tank and fueled by former Trump administration officials, the far-reaching effort was essentially a government-in-waiting for Trump's return to the White House or any candidate who aligns with their authoritarian ideals. With the Project 2025 handbook and an army of Americans, the idea was to have the civic infrastructure in place on day one to commandeer, reshape, and do away with what Republicans deride as the deep state, in part by firing as many as 50,000 federal workers. Republicans considered the vast majority of federal employees were a clandestine network entrenched with enlightened progressive liberals who supposedly controlled the state policy behind the scenes. Throughout the election year, Republicans sought out college students and others who subscribed to these views and funneled them into internships on Capitol Hill and the Senate in preparation for rebuilding the U.S. government in their image. If you think that's the most horrendous thing imaginable, it gets even more alarming. As mentioned, the 2025 project is funded by the Heritage Foundation, 
a notorious right-wing, climate-denying think tank which has ties to fossil fuel billionaire Charles Koch. At its heart, it's an ultra-conservative wish list of proposals for the next conservative president to critically gut environmental protections. Even more menacing, the Project 2025 Group's Climate and Clean Energy Plan is designated to extensively boost the planet heating oil and gas industry and cripple America's clean energy transition. It is nothing short of a corporate giveaway to the corrupt fossil fuel industry. Along with all the previous federal government agencies mentioned, the plan calls for the president with their newly enhanced powers to hollow out or eliminate the Department of the Interior, the National Forest Service, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and the U.S. Department of Energy. It would also vigorously go after public health administrations, such as the Department of Health and Human Services and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Project 2025 has a whole chapter dedicated to disemboweling the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, and moving it away from its focus on the climate crisis. The proposal, falsely implying that the U.S. is in the middle of a crisis of overregulation, would fix that by hugely expanding gas and oil infrastructure and by eliminating drilling and mining regulations. And acting President MTG did just that. Possibly even more unhinged than her mentor, for two years she unleashed a destructive and vicious form of predatory capitalism unparalleled in human history. An orgy of mining, drilling, logging, and industrial development. Deregulation was rampant. Coal was king again. Corporations and industrial concerns were thrilled as this loosening of regulations provided substantial dividends for their stockholders. There was one unhappy customer, the planet herself. After decades of being ravaged, human industriousness was operating well beyond the limits of the Earth's crust, oceans, and atmosphere. Critics called it MTG's scorched earth policy. The deadliest natural disaster in United States history happened in Galveston, Texas in 1900. Without modern satellites and other detection technology, the coastal city had no idea that a Category 4 hurricane was barreling toward their town. The death toll reached over 8,000 people. Which reveals a curiosity about our situation today. Even with more frequent and stronger climate-fueled weather events happening, thanks to advanced technology, not only can we anticipate storms, flooding, and fires, we can monitor and track them with extreme accuracy. And for this reason, very few people die today. Nothing like what happened in Galveston. Ironically, if more people were to be killed in these major climate events, we may have taken the climate crisis much more seriously. The United States electrical grid is an amazing integrated system 
that spans the entire USA, with one exception, the state of Texas. Why does Texas have its own grid? To avoid regulations. The Lone Star State that has always been very reticent about any kind of government management. That isolationist stance left Texas ill-prepared to weather the extremes of climate change. The city of Houston, Texas is home to the largest concentration of refineries and petrochemical plants on the planet and is still the energy capital of the world. Paradoxically, with over 15,000 turbines, the state of Texas is by far the national leader in wind energy. Texas has also greatly benefited from the Inflation Reduction Act, which, despite its name, is mainly a climate bill. It aims to accelerate the transition to renewables and to electrify as much of the economy as possible. This effort, if it works quickly enough and is emulated by other countries, could help us avert climate catastrophe. You might think then that Texas politicians would be celebrating the renewables boom, which is both good for the state's economy and an advertisement for their hands-off business philosophy. But no, Republicans in the Texas legislature turned hard against renewable energy. Following the lead of the climate skeptic, Governor Greg Abbott, they launched a counteroffensive putting forth a series of bills to undermine renewables, imposing restrictions that blocked most renewable energy projects, and even shut down many existing facilities, effectively killing clean energy in the state. Why did they pass legislation strongly favoring fossil fuels over an industry that arguably reflected Texas' energy future? The reason? Renewable energy became a victim of the anti-woke mine virus. Here's how it works. A significant faction of Americans, which increasingly dominates the Republican Party, hates anything it considers woke, which in this faction's eyes means both any acknowledgement of social injustice and any suggestion that people should make sacrifices, or even accept mild inconvenience in the name of the public good. But renewable energy was something environmentalists favor. So in the minds of Texas right-wingers, the wind has become woke and wind power has become something to be fought, even if it hurts business and costs the state both money and jobs. If all this sounds crazy, that's because it was. But that's Texas, and as time went on, much of America in the early 2020s. Then, there was July 12, 2027, the hottest day ever recorded on Earth. Not only is the frequency of heat waves increasing, but the intensity is also increasing. Air conditioning saves lives, but as the planet warms, more AC use stresses the grid and results in more carbon emissions that further heat the planet and ultimately increase demand for air conditioning. This is a nasty feedback loop that accelerates climate change. Because of their politicized business decision, over time the independent Texas electrical grid system began to flicker. A partial temporary reduction in system voltage capacity. 
Then there were rolling blackouts, controlled and usually pre-planned interruptions of service. Then everything went sideways. A massive heat dome parked itself over the entire state. For weeks, daily temperatures exceeded 114 degrees, almost 46 degrees Celsius. On July 12th, afternoon temperatures were a blistering 118 degrees. At 3.02 in the afternoon, a power surge created a sudden increase in voltage to the aging Texas electrical grid power system. The surge damaged vital electrical relay equipment. The record heat had created record power demand, which caused an overload where demand for electricity exceeds the supply. This caused the entire system to crash. Electrical power failed across the state. With temperatures ranging from 114 to 118 degrees, it wasn't just inconvenient, it was critical. A multi-day blackout during a heat wave is probably the most threatening climate event emergency managers could imagine. Worse than a flood, worse than a fire, worse than a hurricane. In Texas, the blackout led to some 10% of the population, or 3 million people, requiring emergency medical attention. The impact on the Texas healthcare system, including hospitals, which can run on generators, but would be quickly overwhelmed, was catastrophic. In the aftermath of this extreme heat event, some 23,600 people died from heat-related issues. The nation and the world were stunned. The death toll was the equivalent of 12 Hurricane Katrinas. The glaring fact that a tragedy of this proportion could happen in the world's richest and most technologically advanced nation was unimaginable. The environmental term tipping points refers to critical thresholds beyond which a particular environmental system or process is irreversibly altered, often leading to far-reaching and potentially disastrous consequences. Tipping behavior is found across the climate and ecosystems. Many parts of the Earth's natural systems have been destabilized by warming, from ice sheets and ocean currents to the Amazon rainforest. And scientists believe that if one collapses, others could follow. A domino effect. What happened in that awful two-day period in Texas was a tipping point. It was the kind of tipping point that we needed the most. A tipping point of the human heart. This tragic human tipping point sparked a rapid and irreversible understanding that we have pushed the Earth's boundaries too far. It was an event so unbelievable that it snapped populations out of their apathy and inertia. It was as if overnight the whole of the world realized how human factors contributed to this catastrophe. In history, there are certain events that shock, motivate, and demand action and accountability. In the United States, Pearl Harbor was one of those occasions. September 11th was another. And now, Texas. It suddenly dawned on all of the unbelievers that they had been embracing the polarizing politics that reflected the priorities of the fossil fuel companies 
and the MAGA base. It had been two and a half years since anyone had laid eyes on Trump. It was assumed he was in a coma. Maybe we were all in a collective coma. After the Texas tragedy, the population was righteously enraged. Accusations and allegations began to pour out about acting President Marjorie Taylor Greene's crooked and fraudulent administration. Sleazy corruption, bribery of officials, crooked deals that enriched the wealthy. The evidence was damning and overwhelming. There was a historical president to the political pickle the country found itself in. In 1973, as President Richard Nixon was embroiled in the Watergate scandal, his vice president, Spiro Agnew, was criminally charged in connection with accusations of extortion, bribery, and income tax violations. With Richard Nixon already being threatened with impeachment from the botched Watergate burglary, and with his VP under a serious criminal investigation, Spiro Agnew had to go. A deal was struck, and the disgraced vice president was replaced by Gerald Ford, who went on to become president after Nixon's resignation. Fast-forwarding to today, Congress had to select a vice president with the full knowledge that Green could be impeached. During her administration, MTG had the support of both houses of Congress. Initially, this worked to her advantage, implementing the Heritage Foundation's Project 2025 Burn the House Down brand of politics. The Republican Party had transmuted and morphed into complete radicalization. It became the party of constant economic discontent and white grievance about a changing America. Flaunting extremism while relentless outrage engulfed the party. The GOP mutated into a death spiral by going further and further to the right with more and more anger to outflank any opponents. And the true purpose of their power was they didn't really want to fix any of the country's problems and in fact created more so they would have something to complain about and denounce against the liberal socialist pinkos. They practiced performance grievance politics at its worst. Congress was so dysfunctional, they couldn't even come close in selecting the person who could quickly become the next president of the United States. One proposal was to choose someone outside of Washington, D.C. The one Republican that had universal draw was Brian Kemp, the first term governor of Georgia. Something that appealed about Kemp to moderate Republicans and Democrats was Trump had pressured the Georgia governor to help him overturn Biden's win in the state. Kemp, even with Trump's strong-arm tactics of coercion to overturn the 2020 election, kept his ethics in check and refused to surrender to Trump's threats. In short order, Green was evicted from office and Brian Kemp became the 48th President of the United States. After the unspeakable mass casualty event in Texas and the election of a moderate Republican to the White House, there was a profound transformation in the country. 
Thanks to a political awakening and an astonishing decline in the price of clean energy and a rise in global climate policy ambition, the future began to look brighter. It became crystal clear that destructive Republican environmental policies supported by dirty industrial concerns were driving the planet to the brink. The new president addressed the nation. The words uttered in that global televised statement were forward-thinking, inspirational, and long overdue. He said, we are waking up from a deep slumber of delusion and manipulation. For all the time we have been putting off climate action, the greater the cumulative CO2 emissions that have gone into the atmosphere have raised the level of warming. We now know that every fraction of a degree matters. Every molecule of carbon counts. We have come to the universal realization that the biggest reason we weren't making full and fast use of new technologies and progressive legislation was the political power and corruptions of the fossil fuel industry. The oil giants and the politicians and the right-wing billionaires and the climate deniers were dead wrong about this for decades. Their skepticism was effective in spreading uncertainty about the climate crisis and we used it as an excuse not to take action. The deniers were selling doubt and it's very easy to manufacture doubt. The polluters will no longer control the machinery of government. He went on emphasizing both urgency and agency in terms of climate action. He went on, the situation we are in is urgent. We are in dire circumstances. To stabilize the world's temperatures will require a near total transformation of our collective societies and of civilization itself. The endeavor that lies ahead is vast. Nearly everything about our built environment will need at least an upgrade and in many cases will have to be totally reimagined. People often forget these days that conservation and conservative come from the same root word. I make a solemn vow from this moment on we will conserve the Earth's resources. We must give credit where credit is due to our democratic leaders. They have been very vocal on this issue for decades. The best example of this was former President Biden passing the Revolutionary Inflation Reduction Act which was really a far-sighted climate bill. It was, without a doubt, the most extraordinary legislative achievement of any head of state in any country in history. Also note that this visionary legislation was passed without a single Republican vote when presented back in 2022. The time for bickering and fighting are behind us. The time for cooperation and collaboration are the only assets with the potential to shape our fossil fuel-free future. My administration going forward in tackling this unparalleled planetary issue will employ only the latest enlightened science to design energy-efficient technology and incorporate common sense and common decency in treating not only all global citizens but the entirety of the animal kingdom. Finally, I would like to ask Mother Nature and the Earth Goddess Gaia to bless not only America, but all living creatures and the whole of our precious and cherished 
creation. Even though she's appeared in several podcasts, I can't help but give credit to me, Novia, my loving girlfriend, Diana. Together, we are known as Dick and I. She's going to finish up this episode with an appeal for a robust and valuable resource from the Green Elephant. Also, a programming note, this will be the last podcast episode in Season 5. We're going to go do some bike trekking in America's Southwest, and we'll be back before the end of the year. All of us are fully aware how wrong it is to falsely yell fire in a crowded theater. But we're also aware of how wrong it is to sit silently while a fire begins to spread. The unprecedented rate of global warming is melting the polar ice caps, rising sea levels, and undermining food and water security for many of the world's people. Action has been too slow because economics has trumped physics. Now, emergency action is the only rational response. Imagine there's a fire in your house. What do you do? Your senses are heightened, you are focused like a laser, and you put your entire self into your actions. You enter emergency mode. The Green Elephants, A Call to Act, is a rallying place for citizen climate action. Across America and the globe, Communities, workplaces, schools, churches, people from all walks of life are organizing the kinds of serious climate action that make governments take notice. You know that our planet is undergoing great change. You want to help. You want to do something. But where do you even begin? A Call to Act is a well-organized, thoughtfully laid-out resource of hundreds of climate and environmental groups to join and eco-action activities to be taken. There are thousands of good people doing the great and noble work to turn things around. If you are truly concerned about these burning issues, you should take a look, even if it's just for inspiration. We have links to A Call to Act in the show notes. <laughs>